Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. And today I am privileged to be joined by some influential figures within the dental world, or certainly within uh, secondary care, uh, Dr. Opie Darbar and Dr. Navdeep Kumar. In the challenging environments, the change management, you have to create me time, otherwise it, it leads to burnout. And I think, you know, for me, I don't come in and think, oh gosh, you know, I don't really want to do this. The day I feel that, I'll be out of here. I knew that the only way to make change, coming back to where I started, is to accept some responsibility and be in a management um, position where you can affect that change. So that was my motivation to take on this role. With your host, Josh Hudson. Dr. Darbar is a consultant in restorative dentistry and Director of Dental Education here at the Eastman, as well as a previous uh, Divisional Clinical Director. And Dr. Kumar is a consultant in Special Care Dentistry and she's our current uh, Clinical Divisional Director. So welcome both uh, to the podcast. First of all, we'll start with you, Dr. Kumar. Can you tell us briefly about yourself and the journey that brought you to where you're at now? So in terms of my clinical career, mm -hmm. a special care dentistry didn't exist when I first qualified. So it's been quite a transformation um, to first get it on the General Dental Council as a listed specialty. So I think that's what drove me, how to make things a little bit better, mm -hmm. how to affect change and to not just keep doing the same as we were always doing. In terms of management, that's very much linked because by engaging with management responsibilities, you can implement the changes that you see are needed much more effectively. Mm -hmm. So have you always been in hospital? Have you been in practice and then came into hospital or how? So initially I did vocational training, mm -hmm. uh, which was voluntary at that time. And I loved it, mm -hmm. uh, but I was, um, I was actually invited back to a hospital job and then I started seeing HIV positive patients, uh, mm. which at the time uh, they had significant oral disease. Uh, and that's what captured my interest and it drew me into hospital really for the rest of my career. Okay. And then when the uh, special care specialty came about, did you get sort of grandmothered on, if that's the phrase, onto the specialist list? No, I actually became one of the first consultants in the UK before it was a registered specialty because okay. UCLH took the view that this cohort were not being served. So mm -hmm. uh, it happened afterwards. And then we ran some examinations and assessments to get other experienced clinicians grandfathered on. Okay. And uh, Dr. Starbar, what's your history? That's a brief history of you until this point. So briefly, um, I started out and ended up going into practice, uh, although my original intention wasn't to go into practice, mm -hmm. but started off in a very challenging situation where at the time, you know, female dentists were not that great, few and far between, mm -hmm. and ethnic minorities were even fewer than that. Um, so it was an interesting journey trying to secure a practice job, ended up working, building a practice up from scratch. Uh, with a principal who originally was like, oh, you're not going to be able to do very much. Yeah. And at six months, I had great pleasure telling him I'm leaving and I'm going into the hospitals. <laughs> so I ended up joining the hospitals and worked up through the pathway and I moved up the hospital training pathway very quickly. At that time, there wasn't a structured pathway. 
Um, and I was a registrar at the time in those days within about two, three years of qualifying. Okay. And ended up progressing upwards, becoming the consultant and the rest is history, really. That's great. Um, so Dr. Darbar, you've been Divisional Clinical Director as the Eastman Dental Hospital and now Dr. Kumar, you're the Divisional Director for the combined ENT and Eastman Dental Hospital. Um, now, to me, as a junior, that sounds like a hugely responsible position, a, a hugely responsible role. Um, do you know how many staff you oversee? How many departments you oversee? What's the scope of that that kind of role? So I think at the last count, we had over 760 um, people in the division. That's the combined division of ENT and dental. Um, so it is a huge cohort. It's not the largest division within UCLH, but certainly one of them. Um, and you're right, combining ENT and dental uh, was a big transformation, but it's yielded lots of benefits, synergistic working and learning from each other. Mm -hmm. And ultimately we, we all work above the neck. So there are some, some advantages such as uh, facial pain. And so what does your, what does that role look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What kind of things do you, do you get up to as, as the divisional director? So the, Clinical director role is about leading and supporting, setting strategic direction and ensuring that goals of the division are met. Um, it has a very strong supportive function uh, and it integrates with the rest of the trust and the division. So there will be external drivers which uh, we need to perform to as a division. But I see it as a strategic transformation post, and I mentioned transformation before. So certainly that's what motivated me to uh, apply um, and do the job. That's great. And Dr. Darbar, so you're the Divisional Director of Education. Uh, same question, really. What does what does that role entail? What does that look like on a day-to-day -day so basis? I, I guess coming from having been Divisional Clinical Director, but at the time it was only the Eastman Dental Hospital, mm -hmm. And we're trying to integrate working with um, ENT at the time. Mm -hmm. And during that period, we started shaping and setting up dental education. And when I stepped down, that's how I ended up. I was asked by the then director of education within the trust because they realized a need for dental education to have a director of its own. Mm -hmm with the work we demonstrated and I was asked to apply for the job and offered the role. And that's how I ended up being in this position. In terms of how many staff we oversee, so direct staff, it's quite an interesting role in the sense that you have immediate people that report to you, mm -hmm. but majority of the staff report to the divisional clinical director and the educational component part is a separate part. So it's kind of almost a dual role. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of really what benefits, et cetera, I think it's a hugely rewarding job and I certainly wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoy education, but it's bringing the clinical side and the educational side. But most importantly, it's about doing the best for the trainees and bringing the best out in them, which makes a big difference. That's great. So you both mentioned the clinical aspects, but also the volume of, of stuff that you're overseeing, the size of the organization. So how much of the business side of dentistry, how much of it's more kind of business related when you're at that kind of level within an organization or are you less involved with that? Or how do you take part in that as, as clinical divisional directors and director of dental education? 
I think we both maintain our clinical activity and it's important to do that, to mm. understand what the teams are going through and what challenges they face and how to make things better, whether it's for the division or whether it's for education. So the clinical activity keeps us grounded, keeps us current and keeps us informed. So I don't see them as separate as mm -hmm. such. I feel that they're interdependent. I, I guess from my point of view, I trained to be a clinician. I love the clinical work I do. But I think in the sort of management roles, if you're not really au fait with what you're doing clinically, you would never understand the challenges your trainees, your staff go through. So I think as Dr. Kumar has said, the two are very synergistically interrelated. But I do think that you do have to have a very focused business mind. Although, and unfortunately, most clinicians really are far distant from what business strategy looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly one of the biggest challenges when I was appointed as clinical director that many years ago, uh, we had the hurdle with the financial instability the Eastman was, was, and that kind of really drove the financial budgeting, et cetera, to reverse a position, making it into the very sort of sought after wanted position that the trust regards the Eastman in now. So it's, I think that the, the monetary side of it is really important as well. Because gone are the days of working in an NHS where, well, you know, money didn't matter. You're just as accountable as you are in a private industry mm -hmm. today. And I think that's just going to get worse. I, I think that's a really interesting point that you've both made because um, it's the mix of having the management responsibility and being on the shop floor, I guess, if, if you want to put it that way. I don't think you see managers in a lot of businesses that are down on the shop floor with their employees to undertaking those roles. So I think it's really interesting that you have that within healthcare. Um, so we, we talked about the different aspects to the roles, but what was your motivation to, to get into these more senior management roles? What led you to decide that that's the, the area that you wanted to pursue when you could just have carried on being clinicians and just doing your, your day job, so to speak? I think I'd had a number of leadership roles before, whether it was within the trust or externally and in a sort of education and special care internationally with uh, University College London. I knew that the only way to make change, coming back to where I started, is to accept some responsibility and be in a management um, position where you can affect that change. So that was my motivation to take on this role. Okay. What was your motivation for your... For me, I'd never dreamt of being a clinical director at all. <laughs> that was not even in my aspiration. So when I became consultant, I took on a lot of leadership roles, both within the Eastman and out of the Eastman, made a lot of changes. And the opportunity for clinical directorship came and I thought, this is the worst time possible because I've got so many other things. We had quite a lot of research projects going on. And in the end, I thought, if I want to make a difference, I can't let the opportunity pass. Um, and that's how I got involved with it and thoroughly enjoyed it with the changes we made and the turnaround we made. So it was quite exciting. I, I guess in making change, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's a lot of hard work. Um, how, how, how much work is involved in these kind of roles? Is it a lot of work? Do you have a good work-life balance? How, how do you find uh, juggling all of these different things? So you're right. Um, in terms of work-life balance, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. But I think the passion that both myself and Dr. Daba have 
to implement change is that whether we were in this role or not, we would still be working on our work-life balance <laughs> because both of us are, are strongly motivated to do the various um, roles that we undertake. Uh, so yes, I wouldn't say I'm the best exemplar for having a good work-life balance, but I get the rewards mm -hmm. from the um, input and the time I put in. So to me, that's a balance of wanting to um, really get a, a change implemented or actually sitting back and letting it drift. Okay. And what about you, Dr. Stella? So I suppose the philosophy of work hard, play hard, get what you want is really <laughs> what I follow. I okay. work hard, I play hard. If I get fed up, I think, oh, got to drop all this, make me time. Uh, obviously, the more you take on, the more challenges you take on, that becomes a little bit harder. But then when you've got people who you are supporting and driving, you almost become a role model. Um, mm. And what you don't want to do is actually teach them to become role models like you, but you mm. need to help them develop themselves. And I think in the challenging environments, the change management, you have to create me time, otherwise it, it leads to burnout. And I think, you know, for me, I don't come in and think, oh gosh, you know, I don't really want to do this. The day I feel that I'll be out of here. Okay, fair enough. Um, and, and where do you think you you got the skills that you've developed to be able to to undertake these roles? Was that part of the consultant training? Is that something that you've just had through experience? How, how have you developed yourselves into being able to be the leaders that you are? So part of it is through previous roles. Um, I'm also doing an MBA because I recognise that clinicians don't have the training in a formal sense that equips them to speak the same language in meetings where they may be directors of strategy, directors of finance, for example. Mm -hmm. And already a year on into my MBA, I can see the benefits um, because I understand uh, if I'm speaking Spanish and they're speaking French, that we may not have agreement and yet now I can speak French. Uh, and they can speak a bit of Spanish, so <laughs> we get a better outcome. Yeah. And what about yourself, Dr. So I guess when I was training as a consultant, this business about leadership and management was never integral to the training. Mm -hmm. um, and it was almost like, oh, you need to do a bit of management before you do your exams and whatever. And I was the first person who set the ISFE. Okay. Um, so, so that was an interesting journey in itself. I think... You're either a born leader or you're not. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you can go and train on courses that actually make you think differently, approach things differently. But leadership is about wanting to make a change and believing in what you do. And I think if you do that, then some of the other training courses, etc. I remember taking on clinical director's role and sitting in this big high-powered meeting with little old me in the corner. <laughs> And I'm thinking, ah, I haven't got a clue what these people are talking about because it just goes all, and nobody tells you this is what you're going to experience. Yeah. But I think it's it's kind of having that self-belief and looking at how you're going to deal with it. And then you do your background work and find out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and deal with it. So, you know, different people approach things differently. But I think um, if you have drive and passion, you'll become a leader naturally anyway, really. Okay. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned about management and leadership maybe not being as much of an integral part previously. I think it definitely seems to be more that way now. Um, 
So if there are more junior um, dentists listening that are thinking about pursuing these kind of pathways long-term, often um, management and leadership is something that's required or something that's asked for as part of job applications and things. What opportunities have more junior clinicians got for getting that management experience? Because a lot of your experience is from other experience, I guess. So where can more junior trainees start off? So I think there are increasingly, uh, reflecting on what you said, Dr. Daba, there weren't the opportunities when we were in our leadership roles uh, earlier in career, but there are a vast plethora of opportunities now, whether that's within the trust, whether that's under Health Education England, whether that's provided by private providers, but there are numerous opportunities leadership development. It's also been recognised um, that leadership starts in early years and is relevant to every stage of your career. Mm-hmm. And the Spiral Leadership Toolkit demonstrates that. So if you have somebody who's supporting your career, um, they should be cited to these to signpost you to the most appropriate courses and development programmes that are out there. But I would say um, certainly there are numerous opportunities now and you may just need a guiding hand to direct you to the ones that are most appropriate. Okay. And have you got anything to add to that, Dr. Zalba? So I, I would probably say that I think one of the issues I see trainees, junior staff facing is almost labelling management and leadership into an umbrella term. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you think about it, it's quite simple. You know, a trainee managing their workload is management. Yeah. Yeah. A trainee actually managing and interfacing with admin team, nursing team, etc. is all a demonstration of leadership. And what unfortunately happens at the moment, and certainly in the last couple of years, what we tend to find is trainees kind of shy away from that and don't realise that that is all management. And I think if they actually believe in themselves and look at sort of saying, well, actually, my day-to-day workload is management. At a personal level, people manage things and lead on things at a personal level. So in a work environment, some of the skills are transferable skills. And then as Dr. Kumar said, it's then a question of really establishing where the niche areas are that you can actually grow into. But, you know, management and leadership is not something you can run or learn just by attending a course, you have to act it and do it. And and therefore learning how to manage yourself in leading, which is what the fundamental part of Spiral Leadership Toolkit is, is, is really a great way to start. But actually understanding that, you know, you're all born leaders and managers because you do that on a day-to-day basis. And that's what you need to really kind of think about rather than thinking, oh, I've got to go on a management leadership course. Is, is what I would say. So see, seeking out those opportunities, but also evaluating what you're doing and s- seeing your opportunities in what you're already doing. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Because, you know, that's you, you wouldn't be in a training program, which is a highly demanding training program, without demonstrating some of those skills. Uh, and therefore, you know, rather than thinking, oh, I haven't got management leadership, it's, it's actually saying, well, I have got this. How do I need to enhance it and build on it? And which areas do I want to build on it? which then opens up a multitude of opportunities, I think. Okay, that's great. And if the uh, the listeners are thinking about maybe being more involved in management and that's something they've got an, an interest in, is there any advice that you would give to uh, more junior clinicians as to what they can do to prepare themselves or 
to get themselves in a good position to be able to pursue that pathway in the long term? So I would probably say what juniors need to think about is open their eyes wide and look around what it is and, and what is available to them. Because as juniors, you know, UCLH offer the executive shadowing program, which I know a lot of trainees go on to. There are a lot of other opportunities within the trust as well. Um, <clears throat> but most importantly is, is, you know, your training years are the years where you shape and define which part of leadership you want to go into. And then, you know, if you feel that this is where your niche is within management, then it's approaching the right consultants, the right teams, you know, uh, clinical directors, both within and out with, to actually say, well, can I just come and shadow you and see what you do on a day-to-day basis? But it's got to come from within and from the junior trainee themselves, because you're the ones who are going to know which direction you want to shape into. And then you get more out of it rather than being pushed into a corner to say you need to go on to an executive shadowing program. Okay. And Dr. Kumar, have you got anything to add to that in terms of advice? Yeah, I think we also need to remember that there are numerous uh, people interested in leadership and management who may not be on a formal training program. Mm -hmm. And we can't exclude them because, of course, leadership management is very integral to what they do. Um, And also in a primary care setting. So there are opportunities available to them um and as i've said before if you either go to one of the college websites to health education england some of these courses are available to external applicants and Mm -hmm. that is um really to say that we mustn't just think of people on formal training programs that this is relevant to it's everybody Mm -hmm. so i would expect a specialty dentist to have leadership management expertise and for that to be in their CV. And certainly, as Dr. Darber mentioned earlier, they would be doing that because they'll be leading on projects, whether it's audit, service evaluation, that is all leadership. And that's really important to reflect on as well. Yeah. And so you mentioned it there in terms of primary care. Um, what opportunities are there in, in primary care for uh, management and leadership? Is it all in secondary care or other opportunities in primary care? I think there are huge opportunities in primary care and currently the focus of service deliveries uh, in line with transformation is is bringing that interface together, hospital and primary care, and that certainly needs to underpin that. And a couple of the initiatives we've taken have actually been bringing the primary care practitioners into the fold and actually building them and growing them. So, So I think there are a lot of opportunities in primary care, very, very similar to what you get in the hospital services, albeit in a different setting. Mm-hmm. And if you're a practice manager, practice owner, want to drive a change, et cetera, and then there are opportunities of going into, you know, the sort of BDA healthcare groups, et cetera, which really have a strong voice for primary care practitioners. But there is a very, very positive move forwards trying to bring the two interfaces together uh, synergizing the benefits and the enhancing the opportunities, I think. So I think people shouldn't close their minds to say, well, there's nothing in primary care. There is, albeit probably needs to be more publicized, I think. Mm-hmm. You got anything to add to that, Dr. Kim? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, I do feel that sometimes people may be doing management and leadership courses to fulfill their training requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's the absolute opposite of that to be effective in anything you do whether you're in training or not in formal training 
you need that as an extra couple of strings to your bow uh, because it will greatly enhance your career experience. Okay. And so what are the next steps? So you've um, you've reached these kind of pinnacles really in terms of the, the positions that you can, can be in with the hospital and the um, changes that you're implementing. What, what's, what are the next steps for each of you? Where, where are you looking going forward? So I think for me, that's a really interesting question because I had my appraisal yesterday. Okay, good timing. And uh, the same question was asked to me. I think for me, it's very much looking at what I can do strategically. So I'd like to remain in a strategic role. It's tough. Um, I'm not denying that. But to be able to say you've been able to make things even 2% better in an area which you know is vulnerable for patient care or for staff, I think that's what would drive me. So reflecting on that, I'm also doing a transformational coaching course. All of these things are about supporting other people within the division to really step up and see where they can make an impact as well. Mm -hmm. And still keep up the clinical work? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Dr. Darba? Um, Interesting question. Very interesting question. I think I've done a lot of things which um, I never thought I'd achieve and have excelled at all of those. Um, I think the biggest thing has been making a difference to people and patients, Mm. huge difference. So even if I decide I wanted to wind down, my personality says that wind down just does not come into the (laughs) equation really. But I I think I will um, explore further opportunities of supporting, helping, guiding people in achieving what they want. I think, you know, I've got something to give, not just to patients, but even juniors who are trying to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great place to be, really. And carrying on clinical as well? Well, most people who take on senior management roles reduce their clinical activity. I've pretty much consistently done more than 80% of time. Yeah. And lots of people say to me, oh, you must have stopped clinical work. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, you know, treating patients, seeing the difference you make to them when you reconstruct them, etc., is hugely satisfying, as is bringing trainees who are not performing to the highest level possible. So I think there are some things that you just can't give up easily. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and we're asking everybody the same um, final two questions. So the first one is if you could describe the three things that you enjoy most about your current role. So Dr. Kumar. I love seeing special care patients and I have a strong interest in medically compromised patients and haematology, oncology, and they are a very vulnerable cohort. They balance me out um, because their prognosis is often guarded, let's say. So um, it gives me a perspective that other challenges within my job are minor compared to the challenges that our patients face. So first and foremost, I get great satisfaction, joy and insight from the patient cohort I see. Secondly, I think it's a real privilege to work with lots of really quite remarkable people. UCLH has got some strong leaders uh, and I've learned a lot from uh, working with them and also learned that they share the same passion. So that's given me a lot of enjoyment. And I suppose finally, I absolutely um, love 
teaching and training. Uh, and that makes me feel that we're equipping the generation that follows us and that we can pass some of that benefit on uh, and actually make sure that it's not lost. That's great. And Dr. Darba, three things that you enjoy about your role? Making a difference. That's kind of, you know, seeing people turn themselves around, um, being there for people when I'm needed um, and making a difference to patients, actually seeing patients move from being highly subdued, lack of confidence to gleaming smiles at the end of it is a huge, huge satisfaction. And equally, it's the same thing when you see trainees progress upwards and upwards mm -hmm. and achieve greater things. And I think we've produced people who've achieved a lot of great things. So hugely, hugely satisfying. And I think also, um, I think despite all the roles and the management roles, et cetera, I've had, I'm just me. And I think <laughs> I'll always be me. So that's good enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and the final question, so um, both of you have, have, like we've talked about, gone through a, a whole range of things to get to this point in your careers. But if you were going to go back in time and say some advice to your younger self, what, what advice would you give? That's really interesting because initially I wanted to be an endodontist um, and then got lured into hospital. Mm. Um, so I would say I would be a really different person if I'd followed that pathway. Um, so the advice I would give is take a chance <laughs> because I took a chance and it put me onto a pathway which has been so rewarding. Um, so you know, look out there, see what opportunities are there. But just be prepared to take that chance. Okay. Dr. Zalba? So I think had I not got the self-belief and the determination, I would not never have done quarter of the things I've done. Mm -hmm. So I think any junior person starting out needs to start on the basis of self-belief and self-awareness. If you have self-belief, you can turn anything into an opportunity and having that positive mindset. Because okay. believe you me, you're in an environment that has hurdles and those hurdles can be high and low. Only you can make them if you believe in yourself. And that's what I would say. Never lose faith. That's great. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to be here. I know you're very busy um, and I'm sure the listeners will really appreciate hearing from, from your experiences. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.